Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. Hello and welcome to the podcast. My guest is Joe Lafleur, manager of GP Strategies Corporate Crisis Management Program. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Jeremy, nice to be with you. Thank you. Okay, so of course, everybody is struggling to adapt to the new coronavirus reality, and especially businesses of all kinds, which have been hit especially hard. So what are the top line things businesses should be focusing on right now? Well, where we are right now, as the virus has spread around the world, uh, still continuing in the Asia-Pacific area, but growing now in Eastern Europe and uh, throughout uh, Northern Africa and now into North and South America, I think it's a matter of two things. One is the interpretation of guidance that's being given by governments and the news Casts are full of all kinds of do this, do that, and governments are taking a lot of different actions legislatively, fiscally. They're passing laws to help employees if they're going to be unemployed for a while, or loan programs, grant programs, whatever that might be in whatever part of the world. That interpretation, along with curfews, how you can do business, when you can do business, where you can do business, that interpretation by managers is really critical to keeping some kind of an income stream going. So paying attention on that count. Now, to your point about internal, that's another key one because you have to keep your employees connected to you and you've got to keep talking to them. You've got to keep interpersonal sense of how you are going to treat them as a businessman or woman and how you want to relate to them on a long-term basis. Therein is, of course, the difficulty of what kind of a business are you. If you're a pizza parlor, you may have one style that you need to work in because maybe you have a lot of part-time employees. This is a secondary job for a portion of your workforce. If you are a large or medium-sized business, depending on how far-flung you may be around the world, you're going to be communicating differently because if you're the leadership of that company, you have to communicate through your local manager, so to speak, or your country managers, your regional vice presidents. And that's a whole different style. So we can talk about those different back and forth activities in the sense of a continuity of business operations, as you look and put that up against the government situation that's being imposed on you, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's being imposed on you, and you've got to work within those constraints for the greater good of public safety. Yeah. So let's go back for one second. You mentioned before that there's just a ton of information out there, which of course is true, and some of it contradictory right? So should companies be setting up some kind of internal team or task force to really concentrate on this and to kind of filter out the stuff that's not important and and really focus on the stuff that is so as to be able to educate everybody else? Like, Is that a a good way to go, go about it? Or if not, then how should companies go about understanding what they need to know? Well, your question put your finger on where we are now in the way the coronavirus has 
developed and is progressing through whatever period it, it tends to continue through, which could be months from this point. But the idea that that team, and, and you're right, it's got to be a team, and, and a team could be two people in some cases, or it can be 22 people. You never know what that is to your needs. But if you are a large or medium-sized business, you should have had plans, call them what you will, business continuity, crisis management, emergency management, whatever is, is your menu pick, those that team should have been pre-identified, either by position, and then in contact lists, the people who are going to staff those positions. Now, the team at this point, as the coronavirus has moved around the world, should be doing an interpretation of what do we need? What's the revenue picture going forward? Because this is going to go on for months and in almost every country, even though, let's say, China and other Asia-Pacific countries are, are ahead of that power curve or well into that curve of the coronavirus. But you need to be interpreting that. You need to be projecting your revenue. I must say it's going to be difficult. There are going to be potentially, uh, instead of working five days a week and 40 hours of what you're getting paid for, you may be see an hour's cut. And the business may have to do that to stay viable for the employees. Because let's face it, three months, four months, five months, business, this we're going to be through the cycle. And suddenly, your customers are going to be ramping up their activities, trying to catch up, trying to improve their balance sheet before we get through the, the last two quarters of the year. And you don't want to be without your employees, without assets, because it'll take a while to staff up, train up, and then become productive. So finding ways to keep your employees, perhaps let's say if you've got to go to a four-day or 32-hour period that you're going to pay for, if you can maintain their benefits, there's a good chance the employees will stay with you. But if you can't maintain their benefits, they're in a difficult spot. There are some companies, remember, that are hiring at this point, because if you're in the mask production business, you're booming. If you're in other technical or medical services, you may be very busy. And there are employers who are hiring out there. So your employees could, and depending upon the niche of your business and their skill set, they could go to other places. So retention policies, Jeremy, you put your finger on it. You've got to lay that against your requirements and what mm -hmm. your assets will provide for. So good point. Right. Okay. And now you also mentioned of communicating with employees who, again, depending on what your business is, but just generally speaking, are going to have all kinds of questions and there's, there's just a lot of anxiety out there. So of course, businesses need to communicate, but what are some best practices around the nature or the content of that communication, given that the, the folks they're trying to communicate with are probably pretty anxious and have some pretty fundamental questions about, am I going to have a job? Are my benefits going to be there? And so on. Well, you know, if you're not talking to your folks, you're going to lose them for sure. And they have to believe, obviously, as you're portraying that uh, you care about them, you're concerned about them, their family, their children, whatever their uh, family status might be. And so if you're a small business, you want to be communicating frequently and to some degree personally. 
Now, I understand you're going to need to do some some uh, fancy footwork on social distancing if you want to go to your uh, employee's house, knock on the door, and, and see how they're doing. And maybe bring them a little gift basket, too, or something like that. If you're a medium or large business, you need to have frequent communications, but a couple things you need to be aware of. Don't pepper them with communications. If you want, and obviously sometimes you need to respond to something very quickly. If uh, let's say the government agencies have put in a curfew or changed the curfew. And so you've got to go to a different style, but don't pepper them, but make it frequent. It should be consistent. If you are sending these by email, you may want to use a special banner. You know, this is coronavirus uh, event and this is an emergency alert message number two, three, four, five, as you send those out so that they can keep track and have a place where they can go and look up number two or number three and refer back to those. Hey, when you're closing up your offices uh, around uh, the country, go back to message number three and look at that checklist. So you've got a referral base, you've got consistency, you've got a comfort level that you can create with those employees, but don't just send a lot of random communications. And then the boss or boss is need to get out and get on the phone and have still that personal contact of the small business kind of operation. Yeah. I mean, I think personal contact can really make a difference. And, you know, especially if you're a medium or large business and you want to enable your employees to contact you does it make sense to set up something like an employee hotline? And if so, what does that look like? How, how do you get something like that up and running? Well, that's a great point. I know at GP Strategies, as part of our contingency planning, we do have some help desks that we run for other companies. And as we ramp down in some areas, we can ramp up those help desks uh, because we have a large number of employees and contacts that go on in various different countries. So we have a capability for some kind of a help desk, but therein is a tough one, Jeremy. You've got to have the right kind of people with the right information. And some people don't transmit well during a so-called crisis. And in fact, I don't like to even use that word because as we're seeing, the boy, some of the media are just intensely hyping this as a frenzy, as unknown situations. It's a deep, dark secret. And the the wording out there is very critical. So stability, the right kind of connection. And if you can't do a help desk, you need to set up some other resources that will help under those situations that have the right people. So yeah, a call center, if you can do it, or when you will take calls or a website where employees can submit their questions or say, can you please call me? Those are all key points. And you're right on target about that small business mentality, no matter how big your company is. Yeah. Now I've been getting a lot of texts and emails from businesses that I engage with, and they're sending me stuff about how they're dealing with the pandemic and sort of what they're doing to help both their employees and their customers. So First, what's your take on this kind of external communication? Is this something that you would recommend to any business or does it depend on the business and other factors? Well, we're seeing two kinds of things. Number one, exactly as you just said, there is this uh, comfort message or, hey, we're your business partner and we just want you to know that we're 
we're still here. We're operating under these circumstances. We may be working from home. We may be a little bit delayed, whatever that uh, circumstance is. But yeah, they are trying to tell you how they're operating, why they're operating, and that they are operating under these circumstances. Then you get those who are just messaging because they have your contact information and they think this is a good time to tell you, well, you didn't have enough backup capacity in your uh, IT servers because of what's happening now. So can we get together and, and talk about this? There's that kind of message. And then I would say to you, there's a third kind of message out there. And that's between a particular client or series of clients in your business where you have to make some assurance statements. And the ones that we've been seeing are those where there is a cluster area of this coronavirus or an outbreak that suddenly takes place. And the agreement is, well, we'll tell you, business partner, if we have an employee who is in testing or gets sick and they were let's say, in your facility in the last two weeks. Uh, we want to have that reciprocal agreement so that we can protect our employees. Now, obviously, for privacy law reasons, you're not going to tell them that the name of the employee who was sick is, you know, John Doe, or you're going to be uh, careful about not giving away that information. But on the other hand, you want to know if your employees were in their facility or there's been some kind of a mutual contact situation so that you can protect your employees. And, and that's a good relationship. That's a good business partnership that you want to have. So we, we're seeing three kinds of messages, and they mm -hmm. fall into those three buckets. Okay. Are there any things that you would advise companies to absolutely not do to stay away from in this time of crisis? I think that it's business dependent, but there are some let's call them categories, that what mm -hmm. you might want to check yourself on. And the first of all is don't have too many messengers. If you, maybe it's the president or two or three key teams of your emergency members, I should say, of your emergency management team, so that they recognize in this coronavirus situation, the HR department is so much more, I'll say, important and on the front lines as opposed to if it was the facilities department and you had a fire in a big factory or something like that. So they should recognize uh, messages coming from the HR director. It may be the emergency manager. It could be the president of the company or the uh, head of that division that's been most affected. But in the coronavirus, this is pretty much of a president or senior, very senior level communicator. So be careful of having too many communicators. They should be recognized. The messages should be similar. You should have the similar banner on each of your messages. It should be reassuring and it shouldn't be too long. I'll say bullet points, but on the other hand, you need to give enough information so people can interpret properly. Now, if you're a medium size or a large business, one way to handle that is to deal with your employee messages at a fairly high or medium level, but either before or after, depending on what you're communicating, where you are that is in the phase of this emergency as it goes on until we get to true recovery and people coming back into their buildings. 
is that you need to, how would I describe it, to have people who are going to send out additional detail to managers and supervisors. And then in the message to the employees, you encourage them to, here are the points where we're at, here's the the time we're going to work, or how we're going to change our hours, or how we're going to implement social distancing, how we're cleaning our buildings, who to report to if you do feel ill or you're being tested for the coronavirus, and then have a second instructional package for supervisors so that they can implement something if they're in a province or a state or wherever they are or a different division because all of your divisions may not operate the same. So you may have two sets of messages under those specific circumstances. Mm, Okay. So now, as you mentioned earlier, ideally, companies will have an internal crisis response team. And they're likely, in this kind of situation, they're likely going to have to deal with local and national health organizations, which I I would imagine, especially at this time, those organizations are overwhelmed dealing with everything under the sun. So what are some best practices for companies to coordinate with those kinds of health organizations? Two or three come to mind almost immediately. Number one, for the jurisdictions that you work in, an employee, and you can do this as a small, medium, or large business, it doesn't matter, but where you are jurisdictionally, you should have been following the, if you're in a United States state, the, let's say, the county emergency management office where you are, or have an understanding through your county emergency manager of how the state is going to operate. In the last 20 years, many states have added a business support cell to their state emergency operations center that works with the various uh, chambers of commerce and various associations to use those avenues to get information out or take questions in. And if you understand that system and they're out there now, and let's say they weren't really out there maybe uh, before Hurricane Katrina and the unfortunate events of 9-11, but they're very prevalent now. So use understand those operational pathways to get information and see what's going on. Second point, know what your business is all about. So if your business has to do with food services or it has to do with health services, you're going to be dealing with a regulatory agency, most likely, who's going to be issuing guidance that says you can't sell this or you must do that and how to treat your food or what particular uh, services you're going to be able to provide at your facility. Now, that's very much different than a food facility, depending on where you are, if you're in an intensely impacted coronavirus area or you're in an area with very little impact. And we must remember there are some major differences as to where this coronavirus is and and how it's operating, then you need to know who you're dealing with and who else is controlling or impacting your environment. So if you're in health, you're in food, you're in a very controlled, regulated industry, that's a lot different than being open as a general point of commerce. So that's number two. You got to know your market, know who controls you, know who you have to react to. And then Third, we're back to that 
our employees issue and how are we going to take care of it? But now you got to add in a couple other points, and that is your supply chain, which includes transportation, as well as the supplies that you're relying on, whether it's uh, the flour to make the pizza or it's, in fact, uh, the metal uh, couplings to make the widgets, whatever is in your factories or whatever services you are providing. So you have to create those additional issues and understand how they now impact your employees besides taking care of your employees. So I would say those are the three categories that you've got to evaluate your environment in terms of that question. Okay. Now, you mentioned earlier, Joe, that GP Strategies is helping some clients by helping to man help desks, right? Man the phones. What what else is GP Strategies doing to support clients with their COVID-19 response efforts? Well, we have a number of ongoing business activities that are actually kind of right out on the front lines right now. One example is how we have had a longstanding contract with the Indiana State Department of Health, and we have provided augmentees to their regional health districts who are generally out there as planners, as preparedness officials, and based on some of our past work in a natural disaster or something that has hit a particular area, they then will work in the EOC, the Emergency Operations Center, and those governmental units that they're helping or they get assigned to as kind of a a fast-moving surge force to help out. Uh, They're not decision makers per se, but they're there to help the decision makers running as arms and legs. So in Indiana, what they've been doing things like driving test kits around to get them distributed or picking up test kits and getting them to laboratories. They've been in the emergency operations centers. They have been giving advice to local officials. Doesn't matter if you're in a rural county, urban, suburban, there are different needs, specialists. uh, And we have folks on the front lines from GP Strategies who are out there working in in that arena. A second arena that's very interesting to your point that people I don't think are thinking about right now, Jeremy, is what's going to happen two months, three months, five months as we maybe start to recover because many companies, again, large and medium-sized, have business interruption insurance. And there may be a time that you're able to, if you are able to collect all of your expenses and understand what your lost revenue is, depending on the premiums that you pay and the money that you have invested in this process for your insurance, you may be able to file a claim after your deductible, of course, is is taken into consideration and uh, recoup some of that lost business revenue. And I don't think people are thinking about methods of collecting that, and they should be talking to their insurance companies about how that should best be presented and collected. So they obviously put forth a a fair, full, disclosed case of what their losses were to hope that their insurance company will understand that. And they shouldn't wait till we get four or five months down the road and this is almost over, we hope. Uh, It needs to start now and you need to know what those procedures are. Okay. That's a great point. I mean, eventually we will get past this. We don't know exactly when, but it's good to keep that in mind and uh, prepare for better days ahead. 
So, Joe, we've covered a lot of ground here, and I think a lot of people are looking for words of wisdom to help them get through. So what, what's the main thing that you want listeners to take away from our discussion? Well, I, you know, at, at these times, I, you look to your heritage and you might say, well, our friends, uh, I'm in the United States right now, but our friends across the pond, our British friends who we've collaborated with through so many world crises, world wars, keep calm and carry on is one that's always used under these circumstances. I do think that to your point, we're right at an inflection point, at least in the United States and some parts of Europe, maybe the Middle East, Northern Africa, perhaps. And and where this virus goes in Africa, that's an unknown and an area of concern yet. But I do think that we need to be viewing this as this inflection point that I mentioned, as where are we going to stabilize the curve that's right now still going up in terms of test kits and uh, confirmed cases, people getting well. Once we start to see a little bit of a curve here and as the weather changes in different places, I think then people will be able to understand the timing. And the timing leads to the issue of how much anxiety do you have because of your personal situation. I'm running out of money. I don't have funds to go too much longer without a full paycheck, let's say. So those we're at an inflection point. There's going to be a lot of, I think, interpersonal decision-making. There's going to be some hard decisions by companies who have been hit the hardest in terms of their revenue stream. And that's going to have a lot to do with the tone we and how we treat each other as human to human. And those who are doing relatively well and won't be too badly hurt need to understand that because there may be some negative reactions in the public and, uh, perhaps through the media or people complaining about how their particular government agencies reacted. And we've got to understand people are are in varying different situations because of the duration and the nature of the actions that have been taken to stop the coronavirus. Okay, Joe. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk. And to you and to all of our listeners, stay safe and stay well. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.